We're in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14 today. Um, before, I, before I get started, I just want to say to all of you, uh, we're glad that you're here. We have uh, several guests today, and we do every week. And, and I just want you to know that uh, what you're um, going to be looking in on today, uh, if you're an unbeliever, you get to look in on kind of how... Uh, those that have faith in Jesus as Lord think about God and about how God thinks about us. And so I just want you to know that this is a safe place to ask honest questions about the, even does God exist and how does, how does God relate to humanity if He does exist and how do we learn about who God is. And, and that we believe that the Bible is God's special revelation of Himself and specifically the person and the work of Jesus, the God-man. And so uh, our time during this part of the gathering is, is for me uh, as pastor to, to open up the scriptures with you. And, and uh, the only way I really know to, to, to help you see who God is is just to open up books of the Bible and just to kind of walk you through them and help you to understand who they are, or who God is and how things work. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a whole stack of them. I see most of them are gone, which is a good sign. Uh, if you got one of them, uh, then uh, open it up to the book of uh, 1,012. You got that, Matt? I saw you grab one of those Bibles. 1,012. Um, and that's where we're going to be. So this, uh, th- what makes this book dynamic isn't the particular pages that it's on or the cover that it has. It's, a, it's, it's what it says about who God is. And, and we believe in it. So we want to we wanna just kind of share it with you. Um, I want to just say, and I won't point you out, but there are a few people here that uh, have a special place in my heart. Uh, some have been a great encouragement to us uh, in the early days of our church, and so you know who you are, and I want you to know that I'm particularly glad that you're here. Um, and uh, and uh, it's a real special day as we, as we kind of finish up the summer season that's been incredible for us. Um, and, and then we kind of think about the fall. Where does God want to take us? And uh, we're going to continue just walking through the book of James. We've been here uh, a few uh, weeks already with some breaks in between. Uh, but today we're in James chapter 2 starting in verse 14. And what we've seen so far um, from this author James is that he's concerned that the early believers that he is writing to live what they claim to believe about who Jesus is. His concern for them is very practical. Some would say that James has kind of proverbial statements. Like the Proverbs of the Old Testament, James is is sort of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. There's a lot of very pithy tweets or statements about who God is and how He works and how we're to relate to God in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, particularly difficult circumstances. And he starts the book out in this way of saying, I want you to count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. And it's uh, quite breathtaking to consider that. That we would, we would count the difficulties that we experience in the profit column, not in the deficit column. And then he continues to unfold those ideas and add a few more ideas along the way in James chapter 1. He says things like, if you need wit- wisdom in the midst of your trials, then ask God and He'll give it generously. He, he says things like, whenever you're in the midst of trials, do not begin to question whether or not God is good or 
or believe that God is tempting you to evil because he's not. God cannot tempt you to evil. These are just themes that we pick up in James chapter 1. And then he gets into chapter 2 and begins to, to talk about this issue that he's heard about in the church. And uh, it's, it's quite unique. Um, maybe not so much. There are very poor people in the church and there appears to be very rich people in the church. And, and what is happening in this church that James is writing to, in these churches that James is writing to, is that the, the, the wealthy people are being shown favoritism and the poor people are feeling sorry for themselves and they're also being looked down upon. And so James deals with all of these issues. And we get into James chapter 2 verse 14 and, and he, he talks a little more about this idea that our faith is more than mere words. Here's, here's, here's a main idea I want you to catch throughout this entire talk. Talk is cheap. Look to your neighbor and say that. Talk is cheap. Uh, yeah, yeah, see? Um, our sincere beliefs will be proven by our actions. This is what James is about to say. Now, it might appear at first glance that what James is going to say here focuses us, focuses us primarily on feeding homeless people or on helping people in underdeveloped countries or people that don't have clothes and, and things like that. And that's part of the equation. But really, there's something much greater going on here that impacts every person that has faith in something. And so, would you stand to your feet as we think about what James chapter 2, verse 14 and following says? James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the needs, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, the passage that I'm going to try to explain to these is, um, I feel like it's really, really important. Not, it's important because it's in the Bible, but it's, it's really important because we live in a time and in a place where it, uh, it is okay, it appears, to, to claim faith in something, and particularly you, and it not impact the way we live. God, um, 
I'm immediately reminded when I say that there are places in the world where that's not true, where it's dangerous to claim faith in you. Life-threatening, really. But here we are, God. This is where we are. So I pray, God, as we think about what James has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to say to this church and also to us, I pray, God, that our understanding of this mysterious and beautiful balance of faith and works... I pray that our understanding of it would go rich and deep and it would impact the way we live, God. We love you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here he says, uh, What good is it, my brothers? Now I think it's important to think about who he's talking to particularly here. And he says, My brothers, this is a term of endearment. We think back to chapter 2, verse 1. If you look there quickly, it says, My brothers, this is how he begins this particular section. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So he's talking to people of faith. He's not just talking to anybody that will read it, but people that have faith. And this chapter, or verse 1, literally reads, people that have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory. And so he wants these people who are claiming to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory, the image of the invisible God, to understand that their faith is something more than just words. He asked the question, uh, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, is that person's faith real? Is it possible to claim faith and not actually have it? He is dealing with a, a, a significant misunderstanding in the church regarding genuine faith. Some in the church are emphasizing a faith that is a totally right belief or what goes on in your head. And others are emphasizing a faith that's all about your actions and very little about what you believe. And so there appears to be these two groups within this church. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's disturbing to think that someone could claim to believe in something so sacred while at the same time not really hold to the faith they profess. And I wonder to myself as I was thinking through this passage, just asking God to, to, to bring questions to mind, I wonder to myself, why would a person say they believe in the Gospel, the good news that God has revealed Himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ our sins can be forgiven and we're made alive? Why would someone claim to believe that and at the same time not really believe it to the point of actually living it out. Maybe, maybe for some during this day it had become popular to say that you were a Christian. Or maybe they had heard a gospel that was only part of a gospel. Maybe they heard a gospel that was, that was all about belief and had very little to do with their actions. Or maybe they just heard a gospel that went something like this. If you accept Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to the devil. I mean, that's pretty gripping, right? I mean, I'm experiencing this with my own children as I'm trying to think about how to teach them about the gospel and the good news of the Bible. And if I were to say to them, if you accept Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't, you go to the devil where it's hot. Then it would, it, it just, it's a really foolish way, frankly, of trying to lead a child to Christ because it's like this. I'd say, do you want, when you die, do you want to spend the rest of your life in Disney World? 
Or do you want to spend it in the toilet, you know, or underground, or some, some horrible kind of a place to a child, of course, you know. Um, uh, uh, but so, so maybe these people heard the good news of the Bible, but it was incomplete. Maybe they didn't hear that, that what you believe actually should impact the way that you live, and the way that you live says, what, says something about what you believe. Maybe they heard a gospel that was about religious duty. Maybe they heard that this this message that was something like this. Uh, You believe these things um, and and you go to church. All you have to do is go to church. So maybe there were some that thought they could just come to church on a a Sunday and... um, and know like three or four points about who God is and who Jesus is. Maybe they thought that was it and that's why their actions did not reflect their belief. Maybe they just were misinformed. You know, um, it's, not, it's, not a hard, it's not a hard case to make when we begin talking about people in our own culture who will profess that they believe Jesus is the Savior while at the same time look nothing like Him, nor do they care to look anything like Him. Uh, this is a scary thing that exists in our own culture. I will say that an observation I've made as we've moved into the city and I've gotten to know more people that don't share my faith, uh, it's becoming more and more, or less and less popular to profess Jesus as Lord and as the only way to God. In fact, if you believe that, you are considered bigoted and narrow-minded or stuck, you know, in your own childhood, you know? But what we're saying here is that if you believe in, in, in the good news that there is a Christ and He is glorious and He makes a way for you to be at peace with God, then it will affect your actions. And James continues, and he has this hypothetical scenario here in verse 15. Look there with me. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead he kind of ramps it up here a little bit it's dead now this is a hypothetical situation that James posits based on likely events and uh, we might remember that James has a heart for the poor and what James believes is that the way a person thinks about poor people people that cannot provide for their own daily needs, says a lot about what they understand about God. And we know this, that in the Bible, there's a special place in the heart of God for really poor people. But there's something more going on here than, than a case being made that we all go out and help really, really poor people. Uh, what's going on in their church is being addressed by James. And again, it's this divide between the poor and the rich. And... and And he says this scenario, well, what if someone came to you and they did not have food enough for the day? Not just just a really nice meal. They didn't have enough food for the day and they clearly lacked good clothing. If your faith is mere words, you might say this, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Which which is true. What, What that person would be saying is that God can provide for your needs. It's true. It's theologically correct. The, the statement is correct. God, you know, go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's a blessing. It's a traditional kind of Jewish blessing. But what James is saying is, your words are meaningless. They're useless to provide food for that person's belly 
and clothes for their back. So if your words, if your faith is mere words, then it is useless to people that have real needs. It's easy to say, I'll pray for you. It's easy to say, yeah, I'll, I'll think about how to help you. It's easy to speak a blessing onto someone or to send them a scripture, uh, but, but it's difficult to actually have to sacrifice something that you have and like to help somebody else. Talk is cheap, but a meal costs you something. Now, as I've already said, this passage is not all about feeding the poor, but he goes on with this hypothetical scenario with a hypothetical response. Verse 18, Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Said another way, this scenario, scenario he, he posits is, I have words of faith, you have deeds of faith. So maybe one group was saying, well, my faith is all about my words and my faith is all about my deeds. It's kind of like saying, my faith helps people with words, but your faith helps people with actions. So I don't feel called to help that particular group of people in the way that you do. Like with real substance. Real action. James challenges this kind of thinking. Saying basically talk is cheap. Let your actions do the talking when someone has a real need. Merely saying that you believe in God is no more than... This is, this is a significant what we're about to see here. Merely confessing what the Jews have confessed for hundreds of years in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and other places, that the Lord our God is one. Merely confessing that is not enough for salvation. Even the demons believe that about God. They believe it and shudder. It's interesting to think about the times in the New Testament when Jesus was in the midst of many people and there would be a demon-possessed man and that man would recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Even the demons understand that Jesus was the Messiah. Even the demons confess that the Lord is one. Merely believing that about God is not enough to be saved. That should shake us to the core as we begin to ask the question, well then... What verifies or authenticates our faith? James makes it very clear. It's how we live. It's our works. And then he gives two very real illustrations. Abraham was, was the father of the faithful. And Abraham, uh, known to be a, a man of faith, got to a point in his life in Genesis chapter 22 where God said I want for you to take your only son and I want for you to sacrifice him on the altar and Abraham obeyed you see his faith was more than mere words but, uh, but what his faith was proven by is his obedience to do what God said then there's a story of Rahab and Rahab was a prostitute and uh, her faith was was new to her and she had heard about Yahweh and the way that Yahweh worked and and in Joshua chapter 2 Joshua sent these two spies to check out the area where they were going to go conquer 
and, uh, and Rahab hid these two spies in her house. The king of Jericho heard that these two spies were coming into his land to conquer him and sent uh, part of the military to go to Rahab's house. And Rahab said, they're not here. She, because of her faith in God, that God would protect her, she protected God's people. We see the faith of Abraham and the faith of Rahab by their actions. Now, this is a really, really important passage. And I want to just kind of draw some conclusions. Um, hopefully that will help you think about it. First of all, um, works, good deeds, no matter how religious or how Christ-like they appear, they cannot make you at peace with God. Now, this is important. It's, it's not the works or the good deeds that saves you. Peace with God comes only through faith in Jesus Christ who did something we could never do. He was perfect, sinless, completely obedient to the Father. He went to the cross, making it possible for our sins to be forgiven. This is the Gospel. So some of you have a religious background. You've struggled in your faith journey with God. And one reason is, is because you've been trying to do all the right Christian things. And I appreciated the way Matt talked about that. You're trying to do all of the right Christian things and you continue to fail and continue to fail and you feel disconnected from God. Well, maybe, just maybe, you're trying to earn your way to God with good works. You cannot do it. Like, pressure's off. You cannot do it. And you don't have to do it. The very reason that Jesus came is because we cannot do enough good deeds to earn God's forgiveness for our sin. We cannot do it. Our faith is placed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who did make a way for our sins to be forgiven. This is the starting point. Faith alone saves. This is the good news of the Bible. It's really good news. There's a lot of freedom here, right? I mean, it's just really freeing. There are times when I'm struggling in my own faith and I'm struggling resisting the, the things that I, um, that I call my signature sins. And, and I get to this place where I'm trying to earn, earn, earn God's forgiveness, earn God's forgiveness. And it's almost like God says, you can't do it. Quit trying to be perfect. You can't do it. You need Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Right? There's a mysterious uh, way that we do that. But th that's what we must do. It's about relationship, not religious activity. John Owen, the great Puritan, summarized this idea. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It completes itself in deeds. The second thing I would like to ask you to consider is that our actions reveal what we truly believe. For instance, uh, how many of you believe that uh, the Houston Texans are the greatest football team in the National Football League? Matt Man in the back over there. Anybody else? Okay. Um, so if you say you believe that, then, then uh, if you believe it, deeply, then, then this is a gospel you're going to try to, to, to propagate. You know, you're going to try to share with as many people as possible. Not many of you raised your hand because most of you know they're probably not the, I mean, like literally not the best football team in the National Football League. No, no offense. Um, but uh, 
But what you say you believe about them, and it's funny because I have times where, where uh, these, there's been a time or two in my life where somebody's come to me and they, they've been really so proud of their valuing a sports team, particularly the Astros maybe, uh, which I don't know how you could do that. I mean, I'm a Houston boy and I love Houston sports, but let's be honest. Um, and I would say to them, so you, you are really big, you believe in the Astros, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, tell me, name five players. Right, uh, Lance Bartman? No, he's gone. Sorry. Um, you know, uh, what, what, you, what you really believe, or not ask him, do you ever go to games? Well, not really. Do you ever watch them on TV? Well, not really. Like, I would never tell you I'm a huge Astros fan because I don't ever, I rarely go to games. I don't ever watch them on TV because um, uh, it's a little too slow for me. But, um, but what you believe is going to be authenticated by how you live what your actions are on a daily basis. If your belief is mere words, it's useless according to James. So what do we do? So imagine this being you in a situation where you, you have been telling people you believe in Jesus as Lord, but you realize you really don't. You realize you've never truly repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Sure, you've gone to church your whole life. Sure, you've, you've participated in religious activity. But what if in this moment you realize you never really have confessed Jesus as Lord in your heart and believed? What do you do? Well, um, I, think you, I think you bury. You, you get, if, if your faith that is not authenticated by actions, is useless, bury it and start over and be honest with God. One, one part of this church culture that, and part of this church that I hope becomes of this culture is I want us to be able to be honest about where we are in our walks with God. I want for those of you that are kind of newly coming back to the church, you're skeptical about the church, to be able to come in and say, you know what, I used to do the religious thing, but I never really believed. And I just want to start at ground zero and that is to say, God, will you reveal yourself to me? One of the most life-giving things you can do is just be honest about what you really do believe. And nobody around here gets any credit for someone saying that they believe in God when they don't. We don't want work like that. We want this to be an environment where if you believe, we nurture that belief by helping you see who God is in the Scriptures. If you don't believe, you can ask honest questions and we can, we can work together in community to help you see God. We believe that God is so awesome that He's going to make Himself known to you in His timing. It would be tragic, really, if someone spent their entire life with religious belief and no real relationship with God, wanting to want to live out their faith, but never really wanting naturally to do it. And then someday they'd stand before God, not counted as righteous, but condemned. We just have to be honest, I think. So, for those of you that maybe have realized, you know what, I've never really heard that my sin separates me from God. I never really believed that that's a big enough deal and I need to cry out to God, God save me. And realizing that salvation is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And what makes it possible for you to be saved from your sin is the person and work of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross. If that is you, then, then today, even even where you are, quietly in your own heart, you could say, God, I, I, doubt, I now believe. And let's start from here.
See, one reason that people claim faith but don't actually live it out is because they don't really have the Holy Spirit in them. They've never really felt the weight of their own sin and valued the cross and forgiveness for their sin. So for those of you that, that want to cry out to God, today would be a really wonderful day for you to do that. Or if you have questions, please feel free to ask Him. Another idea. Um, no one, for those of you that are genuinely believers, no one, and I mean no one, gets it right 100% of the time. Every one of us miss seeing the needs around us. Every one of us do, right? So if you're kind of starting to beat yourself up a little bit, like, oh man, I just bought a $110 pair of shoes, and maybe I should have bought a $70 pair of shoes and spent 40 on some homeless guy, you know? I don't, I don't think that's from the Lord, you know? Um... So no one gets it 100% of the time. The trajectory of your life should be to see the needs around you. And and we think about um, faith in the context of this community um, and and considering the needs of the other people in this church. This is where James is. James is saying to them, brothers and sisters, I want you to think about the needs of the people around you. If, If someone around you in your church and your congregation is hungry and rather than giving them food, you just speak a word of blessing over them, it's useless to them. What we could ask is, how are we doing with faith in action in the midst of our community? We're so new, nine months old, here we are as a church. If you're one of those that that has their eyes open to the needs of people around you. Well done. And I actually am so proud to be the pastor of this church and this is just an act of God's sovereign grace to allow me to to pastor here because there are so many of you that do have your eyes open to the needs of those around you. I I can tell you story after story of a need popping up and me just making the group aware of that need and then uh, someone stepping up and meeting that need. And more often than not, the person does not want credit at all. They don't want to be known as someone whose faith was in action. They just want to be someone who is helping someone in need. But if, uh, if your life, in, in the context of this church, if you're, you can't think of a time where you helped another person in this church with a very real need, it's not because the real needs don't exist. It may be because one of two reasons. One, you have a weak connection with somebody else in the church. Or you have a weak connection in the church. You're not... You're not really getting connected into the lifeline of the church, um, which, which, which may mean that, that you're, you're only occasionally gathering with the church, right? You've got to be with people to connect with them. Uh, others of you um, have been coming here for some time. You're visitors, but you haven't quite taken a step to mission partnership yet, and it's time for you to make that step to mission partnership so we can get you connected into the church so that you can actually get to know some more people so that when a, a need comes up, God could use you and your faith in action to help meet that need. We, we must open our eyes to the needs around us, and whenever there are needs around us, um, if your faith is real, I believe that... Uh, you will step in and you will help. And you'll have great joy to do it. And we don't have to beg you to do it. Another reason that we oftentimes, we, we, can, we can miss the needs around us is because even before we get to the point of seeing a need, we've not stewarded what God has given us very well. So some of us um, are not... Um, not stewarding the resources God has given us well. So if a need were to come up, we, weren't, we would not even be able to help those people practically. So really the reason we say I'll pray for you is because we haven't got no money to buy them a meal. 
But what we must do is make sure we're being good stewards. But in, that's part of our faith too, being good stewards or taking care of, managing well what we have so that God will, will, will be ready whenever God wants us to meet a need of somebody in the community. So uh, I, I don't want to end there. I, I want to end at this place. I want to end with this, this question. Well, how do we get to a place where we see the genuine needs of others and we feel compelled by the Spirit to meet those needs? Because there's kind of two directions we could go here. We could kind of leave it at this place where you feel guilty about all the times that you miss needs. And I don't, want, I don't believe that's from God. That there's freedom in Christ. How do we get to a place where we see the genuine needs and feel compelled by the Spirit? Like our spiritual walk is such that we want to meet those needs. And some of you live that. You enjoy helping people that are in need. Um, I don't think it actually begins with just getting to know one another better, although that's an important part of the equation. It begins with getting to know God better. You see, the way we're motivated to do what God wants us to do is, is when our view of God and His glory grows. When we begin applying the gospel to our own lives and preach the gospel to our lives, when we see that the God of the Bible is rich and came to us people that are poor with nothing to offer in return, when we see this gospel narrative, the story of the entire Bible, where God has a faith in Himself so rich and so deep, His action towards us brings Him glory. We see this story in the Bible that I believe that what will happen in you is supernatural and you'll want to open your eyes to the immediate needs around you. And for some of you, you live this. And I just want to, I wish I could just go around and tell you story after story, but I, it would, I would be stealing your crowns in heaven if I told everybody these stories. But there are story after story of people in here that the reason that you want to help somebody is because you know what God has done for you. And if you don't want to help other people, then this probably means you have a small view of how far from God you were before you were introduced to Jesus. It wasn't just that you were kind of far from God and, and through Jesus, you, you just kind of, you were moved from an A to an A plus, right? You kinda, Jesus gave you the edge. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you are dead spiritually. Absolutely dead. There's nothing in you that's moving towards God, but God in His prosperity of grace reaches down and touches your life through Jesus. This is the beauty of the Gospel. This is the wonder of the Gospel. And when our, when our hearts are expanded and our minds are expanded in the context of this preaching of the Gospel to ourselves, that I promise you, you will see the needs around you and you will act. So faith, as mere words, is, is useless. Talk is cheap, right? Let us be people whose faith is demonstrated in our action.